Where does creativity fit into compliance? In more places than you think. Problem solving, accountability, communication, and connection. They all take creativity. Join your hosts, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman on Creativity and Compliance, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Tom Fox and Ronnie Feldman take up the topic of debunking comedy and compliance concerns in compliance communication and training. We take a look at some of the most common objections that Ronnie hears when he's out talking with clients and potential customers and the responses that he gives to demonstrate why comedy can be a powerful tool for your communications and training. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Ronnie Feldman for another uh, episode of Creativity and Compliance. Today, we're going to debunk myths and specifically debunk myths around comedy and compliance concerns. So, uh, Ronnie, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. This is one of my favorite subjects, getting to tell you all the answers to all the questions that I get constantly day after day. So uh, thanks for having me on our show. Yeah, I'm a yes and kind of guy. I like to thank you for uh, for you know for having for making this happen. So, Ronnie, one of the things that's intrigued me about your work is you work with literally some of the most conservative business organizations there are, and specifically financial institutions. But you've done some incredibly creative work with them, and uh, I don't know if they had that creative spark. You were able to maybe guide them uh, to having a little more creativity in some of their compliance programs. But it's always struck me that you had to overcome some initial reluctance simply because of really the conservative nature. And even in the non-financial institutions you've worked with, uh, I've heard you have to um, answer a series of questions that seem to be pretty consistent. So I thought maybe we could uh, go through some of the questions you've heard the most over the years and really debunk the myths and, and maybe just start with that basic one. Hey, we're a financial institution. We're, we're inherently conservative by nature. All our employees are accountants or have financial uh, educational backgrounds. Uh, we're just very conservative and, and we don't do comedy. We don't do funny. We may not even do uh, anything interesting. How do you answer something like that? It's really interesting. It's the most common question I get. So something intrigues people about when we say comedians who do compliance or uh, entertainers who do employee engagement, something intrigues them about it. And, you know, which is why I have the, I'm having the conversation with them, but it's almost always the first thing out of their mouths, which is like, I think this would be really great, but we have a conservative culture and it kind of drives me crazy. It kind of, what they're saying is that they're not a part of influencing their culture. Like we're, we're all part of our own corporate cultures and their, their statement that like this, I think this is great, but we're really conservative is sort of uh, their statement is separating them from their culture, which is not true because we all have a, a part to play in influencing that culture and particularly ethics and compliance and corporate risk professionals because they touch the entire organization. And I would say that their cultures are conservative because they are choosing to communicate conservatively, <laughs> right? The, it is the, the culture is what it is because of how the people in it behave. I think it's important to really break down what they're saying and debunk that within this 
debunking question, which is that conservative approaches to training and communication are ineffective. So you're, if your culture, you're, you talk about your culture and then you talk about your training and communications that influence that culture. Well, we know that the bad bloated e-learning that almost everybody does doesn't work. People don't learn. They actually learn that you don't care enough to make it interesting. And they actually it seeds the idea that it's not important and it hurts your reputation, which means that they don't ask for your help and support. So to me, when I hear that, what I realize is the question is really about something else. Their question is about when they say we, but we have a really conservative culture. What they mean is that they are nervous about fighting the internal political battles around doing something provocative and interesting, which makes sense because the corporate risk community is risk averse, right? By nature. So this is why it's really important to build a business case for why doing things that are short, entertaining and interesting, because it is a better solution. It helps you stand out and get noticed. It helps you build goodwill. It makes both cognitive connections and emotional connections with helps with recall. It keeps information top of mind, which improves, improves ease of access to information. And ultimately it influences the culture so that you can create that social environment where people will ask questions or report concerns, which is really what this is about. So long story longer, when people say that, you have to obviously validate that, but really break down why they're asking that question and really give them information for which to fight that internal political battle. And, and that information exists because short, entertaining more frequent communications is a better solution. So you need to arm with them with that information so that they can fight that internal political battle and and offer their companies a better solution. So Riley, now let me turn specifically to comedy and humor. Uh, one of the questions I've heard that you've talked about over the years is it's not just that we're a conservative company, but it's, hey, we tried comedy once and it didn't work or uh, no one thought it was funny. Uh, you're frankly an inherently funny guy and you have the ability to communicate your concepts and your thoughts. And I think a very humorous way, um, unfortunately, some of us don't have that skill and I include myself in that category, but how do you get over sort of that, uh, specific, uh, concern that we tried it once. It's not that we're afraid of it, but we tried it once and either it didn't work or it backfired. What do you say to that? Before we get to that answer, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. In some ways, it's it's a pretty silly question because it's like we don't do humor here or we tried humor once it didn't work. So, I mean, if you really think about what they're saying, there, I mean, it's 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 kind of ridiculous because we're all human beings that watch TV and read books and listen to podcasts and watch commercials and go to shows and play games. Everyone inherently has some creative aspect to, to what they do. Um, I mean, people are self-deprecating about that. The point is that we all crave interesting and fun things, right? We all know that, that learning is better when it is entertaining. Entertaining is better. Entertainment is better when it has some sort of uh, learning or point of view on the world. I think when people say we don't do humor here or... We tried it once and it didn't work. I mean, I guess you got to think of it this way. Um, if they say they tried something and it didn't work, my guess is, A, they were measuring the wrong things. It's like, what does it mean it didn't work? Does that mean that they 
pushed out a funny video and and they had a couple complaints. You know, maybe they did if they did it really wrong, then there's some, you know, something offensive there. But um, more often than not, I think it's because they're measuring the wrong things. They're not thinking about how their engagement level was, how that provoked conversations. Um, you know, or, uh, the other part is that maybe they pushed a thing out, had the right intention and a bad execution. Right. Because, as you say, not everybody is wired to create short comedic content around these very important issues. Um, so, right. So they're either measuring the wrong things or their intention was good and their execution was bad. But this is where I come back to the whole idea of there's no single way to engage a multicultural, multi-generational, diverse global workforce. It doesn't exist. And most companies will try a thing and push it out to everybody and then you go, well, that didn't work. Well, again, you know, I think the most, the best, the best way to mitigate your risk and engage the most people is to try lots and lots and lots of little things, little short, interesting things. Um, and then you have the best chance of gauging the most people over time. It also minimizes the importance of any one thing. This is why in my company, we continually like create new things because we're like, well, we, you know, you, you don't, you don't know what people are going to like and different people like different things. So uh, uh, let me think of how to wrap this up. So to me, this is all about not putting all your eggs in one basket, engaging through variety and surprise. Do you, do, by the way, do, is, is the listening audience hear that noise in the background? Do you hear that, Tom? We do. What's going on, Ronnie? Yeah, well, we're recording this the day of the air and water show in Chicago. So uh, they just started practicing. So now we have big planes flying overhead. Um, well, so anyway, sorry for that little break in the action there. But what I'll say is, uh, um, you know, again, entertainment is more than just humor. There's lots of creative ways to engage people. And we should be trying more of them and lots of them. Because the idea that humor doesn't work or that we tried it once and didn't work is really just silly because we know that all the things behind that, you know, people are human being and they crave these things. They actually really want you to try these things because what they don't want to be is bored. Ronnie, you've used a couple of phrases uh, I want to follow up on already. When you were talking about or responding to the question, we're a conservative company, you talked about the business case. In uh, uh, answering the question about comedy, you talked about measurement, metrics and engagement. Uh, those are things that compliance officers should be thinking about, uh, but specifically with the solutions that you're bringing around communications and training, when you have that conversation with a compliance officer, do they understand the need for a business case or a service that L&E would offer? And do they understand why after you've implemented that service in the form of communications or training that they need to, to measure it to see if it's a, it, its effectiveness, whether it's engagement or whatever the measure might be? Are those conversations that when you, you sit down with compliance officers, they understand that? It's conversations that I have all the time. The way I, uh, What I'll say is that I think that um, – you used a couple of terms that I think are, are very familiar to business professionals. You talked about business case and you talked about after a solution is implemented, uh, measuring the effectiveness or, or engagement. When you sit down with a compliance professional and talk to them about the business case for your services or L&E creative services, um, and then after they implement that solution that you deliver, uh, measuring it, testing effectiveness, is that a conversation that compliance professionals understand or that you have really on a routine basis 
with your cl- uh, customers? Yeah, it's it's definitely a conversation that comes up pretty frequently, and it's a it's an important question to ask. When it comes right down to it, we're trying to create a a, a program that prevents problems and is defensible in case something bad happens. <laughs> But I, I, again, I, what I would say is I think sometimes we're measuring the wrong things. Like a traditional program is measuring 100% completion rates on the on the e-learning that they did once a year, and that you know that's you're following the herd on that one because we know that that doesn't necessarily teach anybody anything. And we've talked a lot about how historically what that seeds the idea is that compliance is not important because it's infrequent, it's long, it's boring. It employees feel like you're just pushing liability onto them. So, yes, they completed it and you can show if something bad happens that they took the test, but you really aren't preventing the problem at all. You're just checking a box. So I think the things that we need to be measuring and uh, is how often people have been made aware of and access policies and resources. And one way to do that is with short, frequent Hosting and pushing of information or embedding commercials and information that, that drive traffic to these resources. So one of the common measurement tools that we always recommend is how many people access the code of conduct now? How many people access your policy portal now and then implement this um, a year of more frequent, positive, interesting training and communications and then measure how many more people are accessing those resources Hotline measurement is another one. How many people are using it now and how many more people after you've done these campaigns? And preferably, you're measuring these things periodically throughout the year um, over time, right? Because you can't, you know, I, you know, you've heard me rant on why the once a year speak up came, campaign is meaningless or why you take the, the quiz right after you've just received the information and you pass it. But have you retained that knowledge six months later, nine months later, right? So to me, the, the things we should be measuring are uh, access to information, how frequent you've accessed that information, and then things like, and this is more of the softer side of the statistics, but like how do people feel about the organization? Do they trust leadership? Do they trust ethics compliance? Do they feel like there's a sense of organizational justice? I think these are the things that we need to be measuring more frequently and then seeing how they influence these more positive, frequent, entertaining tools shift the culture over time. Right. How do you deal with the question of we're concerned about compliance fatigue? We have annual training. We have some messaging. Uh, I send out reminders. The compliance function sends out reminders. We just bought some bots that send out reminders automatically to anyone who travels internationally. Uh, we're really concerned that if we put something else out there, we're just going to induce greater compliance fatigue and then people will actually, it will turn them off. Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, yeah, so the, the what typically I'm approached and they'll say, hey, we want, you know, we're intrigued by something about comedy and compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then more often not than they're like, because this is our compliance training month, <laughs> right? This is when we're going to jam all that training at everybody. And we want to make that better. And and, and that I, I take that call and I like to help them make that training better, but I immediately shift to like, but what are you doing the rest of the year? You know, how are you doing that drip, 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 drum beat of um, some people call it nudge learning or burst learning, or I would call it advertising, communication, awareness. How, what are you doing to keep these things top of mind? 
And often they will then say, well, we don't really have an appetite for more communications. And the reason is because the stuff that they're pushing out is awful, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's boring and it's finger waggy and it's um, preachy. And that's why people get fatigued because they don't want to see it. Right. Uh, you guys, we're, 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 uh, Tom and I are looking at each other and he's wagging the finger at me, right? Nobody, nobody likes that. Sure. Uh, I think the thing that we're trying to do is avoid message fatigue, which is why we need to constantly, what do they say, put old wine in new bottles. And my, me and my organization are constantly trying to give you new, new bottles, right? We're trying to find new ways to keep a, a, a consistent message about integrity and speaking up. And we're all in this together and the things that that bond a company to each other, bond people to each other around the positive. And the best way to do that is to be entertaining and to vary the way the entertaining wrappers in which we change those messages. And I think there will be there will always be a constant need to to reinvent yourself and to find fresh new ways to make those messages feel fresh. It's kind of the thing that, that gets me up in the morning is is you know, there's an infinite number of ways to be entertaining and we always try and find different ways to do that. So anyway, the message fatigue comes from because we're saying the same message over and over again in the same ways. And we're doing that in kind of a boring, preachy way. You don't get employees crave interesting, different. They crave anything that that, that stands out and gets noticed. Now, they not everyone's going to like everything. But what they will do is appreciate the effort and they'll appreciate the intention. And that starts to build that muscle of like, oh, these people care enough to be interesting and entertaining and they care enough about me and my time to try and engage me. So, Ronnie, you have pitched to the compliance officer. You pitched to the CCO. You've had some pretty good discussions and they say, well, you're going to have to talk to my boss. And my boss is the general counsel. So. You're sitting across from Tom Fox, and he says, although I find this mildly amusing, we have some real core training here, and that core training is, you know, we teach people what the law is, and we expect them to follow the law, and this might supplement that core training, but we have core training, and people take that annually, and and we, re- I'm a lawyer. You tell me what the rules are, I'll follow the rules. Uh, I recognize not everybody is as moral as I am, but... We have core training that we have to push out. How is what you do going to help us in getting our message of the core training uh, that we have to, or we feel like we have to push out going forward? How do you respond to that? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, um, fortunately, I think the world is uh, coming our way, uh, meaning that um, let me start. Let me start this over a, a different way. So when they say uh, we have to execute this foundational core training first, my first question is, do you? Because there's mounting evidence that that's not a re- uh, required. There are some things like you know there's still a lot of state laws about harassment in certain hours and things like that. And the intention behind that is to obviously make sure people are addressing these important issues. But the but as you and I have discussed before, the DOJ said last year. That, um, you know, they're looking for shorter, more frequent, more targeted training and more frequent communications as recommended. They're looking for programs that prevent problems. The uh, interview I uh, read uh, with Hugh Chen, who used to head up the, um, the compliance part of the DOJ, she said there is no 
re required certain amount of training. We're looking for programs that prevent problems and you need to build a case if something bad happens of why that, uh, what, why what you did prevented that problem or thought you would prevent that problem. And uh, so really what we're looking for is an effective program. And we, we inherently know that that annual e-learning, we keep coming back to it. We know that that doesn't, the fact that they say that they understand the role and that they've passed the test doesn't mean that they're not going to do the bad thing because there are other forces at play, right? There's the, uh, the social environment. This is how we do things around here. That influences um, how people behave and the leadership environment. Do they trust leadership? Um, because if you don't have those things, good people often do quote unquote, the wrong thing. Um, what, what is that? Um, gosh, there's that, uh, phrase, there's that psych uh, behavioral psychology phrase, uh, that, um, it's escaping me right now, but it basically is that we overestimate internal stimulus underestimate external stimulus, i.e. I'm a good person and I do good things and I understand the rules, but we all know that we sometimes act against those interests based on what the culture will support. The, uh, the, the common ones that I've often referenced is they'll know that eating bad foods will affect their, and having a bad diet affects their, their body, but there are other forces at play you know, we have the knowledge and we have the understanding. There are other forces at play. Uh, and one of them is I've been good. I've been good. I've been good. I deserve something bad. And that kind of thinking also comes into the workplace. I've been good. I've been good. I've been good. I've been working really hard. I've been working really hard. I deserve this perk. I deserve this extra thing. That's one example of how understanding the rules and understanding the knowledge doesn't prevent problems. What does prevent problems is influencing the culture and getting enough people to say that's not right. We're not the kind of company to do that. And, and you can't influence that culture unless you're communicating more frequently, more empathetically, more interestingly, uh, because you're, you need to rebrand your culture. You need to influence that culture to, so that people don't behave that way. And you can't do that through a once a year big. So let me turn to another area that I've heard uh, and I've actually said uh, when I was general counsel at a multinational company, we're a multinational company. One I'm not sure U.S. humor would translate, but actually, more importantly, I'm concerned that I might offend someone uh, by the use of what we feel like is very comfortable humor in the United States. How do you deal with that question or issue, Ronnie? Yeah, it, it, you know, there's not an easy answer here, but the, it comes up pretty frequently, and, and let's talk about it. So the idea that humor doesn't work globally is is certainly not true, right? It just presents a, a bigger challenge um, because people around the world – are human beings that crave entertainment just like everybody else. And there are certainly cultural dynamics um, within countries and regions. But remember, even within countries and regions, there, it's not a monolith. There's, there's, a, there's a variety of different sensibilities within those countries and regions. Right? I usually come back to the idea that there is no one-size-fits-all solution. And most companies, because of time and, and money, push out one big thing to everybody. Or they want to be equal, and that's a that's a good intention too. Like I want to make sure that we whatever we present is equally presented to everybody, which requires you to translate everything to everybody. And and again, some of those things are, are difficult when you're trying to address multiple cultures and multiple gener you know generations and multiple sensibilities. Uh, and then what ends up happening though is everything gets watered down, and you end up presenting something that's that's ineffective and 
uh, milk toast, right? You know, it's boring. It doesn't, uh, you know, the best solution is the more that you can target your audience, you know, create something for, for Asia pack, create something for, uh, you know, EMEA, create something for how the more you can segment it, the more that you can create for those sensibilities. That's difficult because of time and money. Uh, so again, I come back to try lots and lots of little things, uh, uh, you know, because it, it, it minimizes the importance of any one thing that you push out. Not everybody's going to like everything, even within that country or region. So you're, you're, give it, you're either creating lots of tools and resources, a lot of interesting communications, a little interesting burst learnings and giving that to them and saying you push out the ones that work for you or you're pushing out these things to everybody and you're um, uh, knowing that some are going to work well and some are, are, are not, but over time you're going to engage more people with your short, fun, interesting things. It, there is a, another part of that, which is like, you know, the actual kinds of humorous, entertaining, comedic things, you know, there's some things that work better globally than others. You typically tend to do less wordplay for a global global audience, we tend to sometimes create things that have less text on screen, you know, things that are more musical or more physical or more visual. You know, there, there are different ways to address these things, but that's getting in the weeds a little bit. Um, but the idea of uh, it's in the execution, right? So the pushing out the big global thing to everybody sort of causes that problem. Um, the more that you can come with that more targeted approach. Uh, the better. And if you can't do that, engage through variety and surprise. But remember, entertainment being entertainment is not uh, um, it's not just a luxury. It, I would argue that it's essential um, because otherwise, it, you know, the other things that we're talking about come into play, which is that people don't trust you. They don't pay attention. They don't engage. And then the culture sort of starts filtering the wrong direction. Um, and then you got a bigger problem. Well, Ronnie, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but uh, this has been a great episode. And uh, I know you're getting ready to head off on a great holiday. So uh, be safe and we'll catch up with you when you're back. All right. Thanks, everybody. Be fun. Have fun. Be fun. Be entertaining. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Creativity and Compliance. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.